Well, again, good morning. Good morning and welcome to Hershey Free. My name is George Davis. Great to see you this morning. Thanks for navigating around the Hershey Half Marathon this morning. So I'm glad you made it. It was great just to be out last Sunday in different parts of our community. So thanks to those of you that were a part of that. Rose and I were at Downey Elementary handing out hot dogs, getting to know people in the community. So just really enjoyed that. Although I will, I do want to just kind of keep you aware of this. You know, obviously we were spread out last week. We really didn't gather together as we normally do. And that does affect, that does affect our offering. So the reality is right now we're not where we'd really like to be in terms of our ministry fund and to make sure we're at a healthy place. So I just want to keep that in front of you so, and, and remind you if you're part of our church that, you know, part of being part of the family is, is being involved financially. So just want to give you that heads up um, as we continue uh, through the year. And uh, as we start this morning, we're actually starting a new series entitled The Struggle is Real. So let me begin this series by just making a very obvious, obvious point. In different ways, you and I, in different seasons of our lives, face challenges. We face struggles, right? We face, we face challenges in terms of finances at different times. We go through relational stuff. Some of us, we've got family stuff or health stuff or maybe work stuff. And, and this is part of, of our experience. And right now, I, I'll just, I hate to be a downer, but the reality is if things are really going well, don't worry, at some point it will change, right? At some point, your life will get more complicated at some point, you will be reminded that, yes, the struggle is real. And so over these next five weeks, we're going to talk about five different topics that can, that can generate questions in our lives. It can generate confusion, uh, hardship, uncertainty, pain. And these five topics that we're going to talk about over the next, next five weeks are these. We're going to talk about family dynamics. We're going to do that today. We're going to talk about lust, anxiety, and depression. We are going to talk about abuse and then gender and identity. Now, I realize it, it almost feels defeated for us as followers of Christ, for those of us who know Christ, to even raise these sorts of issues and raise this idea of struggling. Because if, if we're a follower of Christ, is it the case that we're supposed to be overcomers? Right? Is it the case, well, I thought God was to be at work in my life. I thought that if I were a Christian, I was supposed to be above things that can be sources of struggle. If you wrestle with those kinds of questions, let me just remind you of the central teaching of Jesus' ministry. Remember, the, the kind of core teaching of Jesus' ministry was what he described as the kingdom of God. He, he was telling us that through his work, ultimately through his work on the cross in our behalf, he was establishing this new reality, this rescue plan that he called the kingdom of God. Our present world of brokenness and imperfection has now been invaded by this new reality that he is bringing about. And if you are a follower of Christ, you're now part of this new reality. You're part of this rescue plan. But here's the deal, that, that rescue plan, that kingdom of God doesn't come in its final and ultimate form until Jesus returns. So in the meantime, even as for those of us who are followers of Christ, even as we're part of what God is doing, even as he's working in our lives and bringing about transformation, we still experience brokenness in our lives and the lives of other people. So we, we shouldn't shy away from acknowledging that. We shouldn't be surprised by that. 
As we start this series, there, I, I just want to share really three foundational truths for you that, that I, I think hopefully we can all recognize and hopefully through the course of these weeks we'll come to recognize even more deeply. And the, the first is this, everyone struggles, therefore you are not alone. Everyone struggles, therefore you are not alone. Maybe you're new to Hershey Free this morning and you know, you're not really quite sure, do I fit into church? Do I fit in with these people? Because maybe your perception is, well, church is, you know, kind of for people that presume they have it all together and you're not quite sure if you do. And if you're wrestling with that, let me just encourage you, you don't have to have it all together and you're in good company if you don't. Because everyone struggles. So we need to understand that we are not alone. Secondly, we also need to understand that the gospel meets us in our struggle. Therefore, we have hope. The gospel meets us in our struggle. Therefore, we have hope. You know, we want to we deal with some hard stuff over these few weeks. And we want to acknowledge it head on. But we also want to see the way Jesus can meet us where we're at. See how Jesus can meet us in our struggle. And thirdly, the gospel engages our struggle in the context of community. Therefore, we don't have to hide. I don't know if you realize it or not, but you see the way God has intended church to be, the way God has intended Christian community to be is this. This this is to be the place where the message of Christ and the work of Christ meets us in our struggle. So, So we don't have to hide. This is to be the place where really in the context of relationships, God can bring about transformation and renewal. We just finished a series where we talked about being for one another. And and one of the ways we do that, one of the ways we are for one another is by walking with each other and encouraging one another as we go through particular struggles. Now, one of the ways in which we want to be for one another, one of the ways in which we want to stand with one another is through prayer. And so this is a good time to remind you. Let me ask you, just take, your, just take your smartphones out for those of us who have smartphones. And if you would go to hfcinfo.com, hfcinfo.com, when you get there, you're going to see a, a prayer request card. And what you're going to notice is if you click on that, you can, that you, can, you can just submit a prayer request to our church community. You can give us your information. If you don't want to do that, you can just submit the request anonymously. And if you give us permission, we can, we can pass that along to our prayer team. And you can know that other people are praying with you and for you. Likewise, we're, we're wanting to really continue to build prayer into the life of our church community. And one of the ways we're, we're going to be doing that, you're going to see that people that will pray with you now on our campus on Sunday mornings. In fact, at the end of this service, I'm going to invite members of our prayer team down. They'll be wearing these red badges. And if you would just like to pray with someone, they're going to be able to pray with you. And we do that because we need to understand we're, we're not alone in this. We don't have to hide in our lives because the church is to be, the church is to be a place where the gospel can meet us and whatever we are facing. So those are kind of three foundational truths that hopefully will become more real to you through the course of this series. Now, as I said this morning, we're, we're going to talk about family dynamics, and particularly family of origin. 
stuff, you know, the family I grew up in. And I thought the best way to talk, start talking about family was to remind you of a movie that's just come out, which is The Addams Family. I haven't seen the movie, but I grew up watching The Addams Family. It was a you know, favorite show of mine as a kid. And here was part of the humor of The Addams Family. It was this. Do you remember this? If, if, if you've seen that, it was this family was absolutely crazy, right? I mean, this family was absolutely crazy. But to the members of the family, their family seemed perfectly normal. And the truth is, I think for many of us, we just kind of grow up in family and it's just that's the way things are. And, and we don't always understand, therefore, how our family may be different from other families. And we don't always understand how our family may be influencing and shaping us. I didn't fully appreciate this until I got married. I, I, grew, up in, I grew up in the Davis family. And, you know, growing up, I just, this is just the way, this is the way life is. This is just the way families operate. And, this, you know, I didn't... I didn't know any different, but eventually I married someone from the Herman family. And it was a different family. And, and, and the experience of, of now being introduced to kind of different ways of doing family forced me to begin to understand ways in which my family had actually been shaping me and influencing me. I mean, our families really do have a great deal of influence on our lives, whether we realize it or not. If you kind of wrestle with whether or not you believe that, let me ask you this question. Have you noticed how painful family can be when relationships go wrong? One of the clues to how influential family can be in our lives, one of the clues to how powerful family can be is, is going through experiences where the relationships go wrong. Some of you know that. Some of you are in it right now, and I, I don't even need to explain that to you. In fact, now, you know, we're, we're into fall, we're getting closer to Thanksgiving and Christmas, and maybe part of the hardship of that season for you is spending time with certain members of your family. Maybe you would say, it's just so hard at Christmas because... My family just knows how to push my buttons. Some of you say that, right? As one person has observed, don't be surprised by that. (laughs) Your family knows how to push your buttons because they are the ones who put them there. (laughs) And there's there's a lot of truth in that. So the questions are, how do how do I how do how do I engage this reality well? How can how can I be part of family? without getting stuck in the negative patterns that may be part of my family. And thinking about those questions, what I want to do is just highlight for you two very simple principles about family that we find in the pages of Scripture. The first principle is this. It's just, and we've already been acknowledging, but, but, but let me just state it right up front. The first principle is I'm influenced by my family. And we just, we just have to acknowledge that. I am influenced by my family. For many of us, this has been arguably the greatest influence in our lives, has been our family, our family of origin. Along those lines, let me, uh, let me show you a passage from Exodus chapter 20. This is in the passage 
giving us the Ten Commandments, right? We were warned there's a commandment against, against idolatry, false gods, false idols. And as we read about that in, in, in Exodus 20, we also read these words. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sins of their parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Now, as you look at this, notice the assumption of ongoing influence in a family generation after generation. Now, the weight of, of, of kind of emphasis in the passage is actually on the positive side, right? I'm showing love to a thousand generations of those who keep me and keep my commandments. It's, it's hyperbole, but it's, it's talking about the reality that as, as families pass on healthy traits and healthy ways of engaging God and one another, God continues to be at work in their lives in positive ways. So that's really what's being emphasized here. But, but also notice, and this is where we get stuck, right, in this passage, punishing the children for their sins of the parents to the third and fourth generation. Now, what does that mean? What if there's a lot of, you know, junk in my family? Does that mean I'm cursed? Does it mean I'm doomed? Well, to understand what's going on here, I think we first need to understand the word, the underlying Hebrew term that is used for the concept sin. The underlying Hebrew term here is, is it's a very comprehensive term that, that communicates the idea of a, a process of sin. It communicates the idea of a process of sin going back to, you know, I'm thinking about it, or I finally do this act of whatever act of sin it is to the consequences of sin and the implications of the act that I have just committed and even the guilt that can go along with it. So it's a term that communicates the idea of process. And so what, I'm, what I think we're actually being told here is that in our families, even as we can be influenced by negative, I mean, by positive patterns, generation after generation, you and I, we can also be susceptible to negative patterns. And so ultimately what God was telling, right, the Israelites was not you're going to be punished for the sins of your parents regardless of what you you do. I I don't think that is is what's being highlighted here because of the terminology. What's being highlighted is that, that we can be susceptible to negative patterns that recur in our family and, and can recur over multiple generations. And, and what God was telling Israel was, and as you do that, understand, I'm going to step in time after time after time, generation after generation. A classic e- example of, of this perhaps is Abraham's family. Think for a moment about Abraham's family in the Old Testament. On the one hand, this is a family with a great, spiritual history and legacy. I mean, Abraham is told by God, I'm going to be at work through your family. This, this rescue plan that's ultimately brought about Jesus, is, we see it in its earlier stages, right, in, in Abraham's family line. I'm going to bless the world through you. And we look at Abraham's family, and we see generation after generation of people directly engaging God. In fact, one of the ways God is described in the pages of the Old Testament is this. What? I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Imagine having your name associated with God's. Right? I mean, this is, this is a powerful family legacy. And there's so, you know, there, there's some powerful work 
that is present in this family generation after generation. But even in this highly influential family, there's still negative patterns that we see. And, and let me just highlight them for you. If you, you look carefully in the pages of Genesis, if you follow Abraham and his family, here's some things you see. First of all, you see deception, right? You see deception. Out of fear, Abraham lies about Sarah being his wife. He does that on multiple occasions. And then we, and, and, and then we get to the next generation and there's... Isaac and Rebekah, and, and their marriage includes lies and trickery, and, and Isaac repeats the lie that his dad used. I mean, it worked for dad, maybe it'll work for him. We get to the next, right, and then we, then we get to Jacob, and here's the guy that is constantly fudging about the truth. Even his name means deceiver. We get to the next generation, and, and we finally get to this point where 10 brothers actually betray Joseph, their own brother selling him into slavery. So there's, there's deception kind of that seems to run through this family. Likewise, there's, there's favoritism that in different ways you can see. Favoritism and, and a certain sense of sibling rivalry at work in different ways in different generations. Ishmael, Isaac, Jacob, Esau, Joseph, and his brothers. And not surprisingly then in different ways throughout this family, we see alienation and separation which again culminates in Joseph being sold into slavery by members of, of his own family. So here's this, here's this family that on the one hand, they've got this amazing spiritual heritage and there's so many positives that, that are at work in this family tree. In fact, if you're a follower of Christ, the Bible says you're, you're now in a real sense a part of this line. You're part of Abraham's family, but there were also these negative patterns at work. So how do, we, how do we pay attention to that? How are we clued into that in our own families? Well, let me just kind of raise some questions that I think that can be helpful to ask. And even as I do this, I'll also mention a, a book uh, entitled Emotionally Healthy Spirituality by Peter Scazzaro. I forgot to put this in the notes, but he's got some really healthy discussion in here about how looking at your family, looking back to look forward and what that can entail. So here's some Here's some questions that I think that can be helpful in understanding how our families have influenced us. And I'll just give you a few. First, how was conflict handled? How was conflict handled in your family? How was it handled in your family now? Well, do we work through, maybe we work through it, we talk about it, we seek to find resolution. But some of us would say, well, I grew up, in my family, we just pretended it wasn't there, we avoided it. And some of us would say, and I, you know what? The truth is I now see some similar patterns in my own life. A tendency to be an avoider or a people pleaser. And it's a pattern that can kind of complicate your life and complicate your relationships because you, you avoid having hard conversations you need to have. So how was conflict handled? Secondly, how were emotions expressed? Once again, some of us would say, well, you know, we talked through them and we worked through them. And at times we fought and got angry, but we worked through it. But others of us would say, well, maybe, you know, we just, we didn't express emotion in my family. Or maybe you would say only certain emotions were expressed, like anger. And perhaps for you, you would have to acknowledge that in anger, there were words said that probably should never have been said. 
And maybe even to this day for some of us, some of those words still linger with us. Just right at the back of our minds. For some of us, those words fostered a sense of shame that you can still feel today. You're a loser. You're worthless. You'll never amount to anything. And particularly when you're under stress, particularly when you're under pressure, those, those words in some sense, maybe just unconsciously, still have an impact on you. So how were emotions expressed? How did family members communicate with each other? Were we open and honest? Or did at times we simply go behind each other's back? Were there any, trans, uh, were there any traumatic experiences that, that are a part of your family's story? I remember working with a young couple preparing for marriage. We were talking about family, and we kind of had a chart of their family in front of us. And as we were talking about this, we could go back a couple of generations, and we saw a traumatic event that had been part of their family story. And in response to this traumatic event, really, the the way people dealt with it was by disengaging and becoming distant from one another. And, And the truth was you could then see that pattern very clearly in each of the following generations. So has there, has there been a traumatic event that's been part of your family's story? Final question I would give you would just be, you know, what were your family scripts? <laughs> what are our family scripts? And by that I mean, what were the repeated messages that you got in your family? Sometimes it wasn't necessarily even stuff said out loud, but it was just the vibe you got through the way we interacted as family. Maybe you would say, I got the message that I was loved or we're in it together. But some of us would also say, I got the message, don't make mistakes. You've got to get everything right. Or I got the message, avoid conflict at all costs. Sadness is a sign of weakness. Or maybe I got the message, don't express anger, but you can express sarcasm. So these these are types of questions, I think, that that can help us be attuned to the ways in which our lives have been shaped. And understand this, the goal is not to throw your family under the bus. The goal is just to understand what's, what's influenced you. And I encourage you, I, I just encourage you to, to take some time to wrestle with these kinds of questions. For those of us who are married, to talk about it together. And this can be, even be part of the conversation for those of us who are in groups, if you're kind of open to sharing some of the, what were some of the scripts? What were some of the messages? I think it's important for us to be aware of these, these patterns that have shaped us, both positively and negatively. And particularly with the positive ones, to be able to, you know, take time to celebrate, to express appreciation in our families, to just be grateful to God. But what about the negative stuff, right? I mean, the hard part of doing anything like this, really taking time to pay attention is, what do I do when I come across really some of these negative patterns? What do I do when... (laughs) when I start to realize that maybe, you know, there was affection in my friend's family that, that was never present in my family. What do I do when it feels like I, other people had family there for them in ways that I never experienced? And, and I'm still dealing to some degree with the ramifications of that. What do I do with the negative stuff? How do I not get stuck there? 
Well, that brings me to the second principle that I think we see in Scripture in dealing with this. First, remember, I've been influenced by my family, but here's the second principle. But I don't have to be imprisoned by my family. I've been influenced by my family, but I don't have to be imprisoned by my family. Along those lines, look at these words from the prophet Jeremiah. This is from Jeremiah chapter 31 sometimes referred to as this great passage about the new covenant, right? In, in the history of Israel, Jeremiah was a prophet who, who just had the ability to see what God was ultimately going to, to do through Jesus, through a new way of engaging his people called a new covenant. And Jeremiah, in this part of Jeremiah, is describing what that looks like and what God will do. And this was a very timely message that the people of Israel needed to hear because this is This is a time where they're facing the reality of exile, right? Due to repeated patterns of idolatry and disobedience, they were now going to experience the consequences. And as this became a reality, apparently it was easy for some just to say, well, it's their fault and blame previous generations, right? This is happening because of what they've done. It's their problem. And so in the midst of what talk, uh, talking about what God is going to do, the prophet also says this, listen to these words. In those days, people will no longer say the parents have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. Instead, everyone will die for their own sin. Whoever eats sour grapes, their own teeth will be set on edge. You see a similar statement in uh, Ezekiel chapter 18, and it's, it's a prophetic way of, in essence, telling the people, hey, don't sit around and simply be a victim. Don't just do that. Yes, there are going to be consequences to what's gone on before, and exile is going to be a part of our story. But we can't simply look at our lives and say, we're just stuck. The prophets are warning against that. They're warning against that kind of of mentality. So I'm influenced by my family, but I don't have to be imprisoned by it. I don't, I don't simply have to repeat the patterns of the past. So how do I do that? How do I embrace this truth well? Well, kind of the challenge I just want to give you this morning as we think about family is to understand this. I am both a recipient and an agent of family. And if I'm a Christian, I am both a recipient and an agent of God's grace. I'm both the recipient and agent of family, and I'm both a recipient and agent of God's grace. Yes, I am a recipient of family. You know, I'm part of the Davis family. There are ways in which that history over the last few generations has influenced me. But I'm not simply a recipient. I'm also an agent. Furthermore, as a Christian, I'm I'm also... I'm also a recipient an agent of God's grace. So what does this mean? Well, I mean, I think it, I've, I've got to acknowledge myself as a recipient. I think, it's, I think there's wisdom in understanding how I've been influenced and being aware of that, of asking the kinds of questions we've been talking about. And I think there's wisdom if, if I do come across certain negative patterns or certain negative ways that, uh, that, that I've bought into certain negative patterns... I then need to be willing to wrestle with, so how does, how does the good news of Jesus move me in a different direction? How does, how does the gospel help me to engage people differently 
let me, let me just give you a couple of examples. You know, maybe I did grow up in a family with really high expectations. And, and the subtle script that I was given was don't make mistakes. And to some degree, I mean, this isn't entirely responsible, but it, it contributed to a, a perfectionism within me that at times is immobilizing. Perhaps even as a parent, that's been the message that I've subtly passed on to my kids. So now, now as a follower of Christ, I, I need to be aware of that, but I need to also wrestle with, so how does the gospel, how does the message of Christ perhaps move me in a different direction? I need to be aware of the message of Christ, the work of Christ is bringing liberation and freedom. In those moments where I can kind of revert back to these old patterns of perfectionism and the fear of failure perhaps becomes so great that I become immobilized, I've got to come back to the truth that that my identity is now in Christ. I am secure. This is a safe place to be. Likewise, I think it's important for me to have other people in my life that can, you know, that maybe know me well enough to at times be willing to say, are you getting stuck? You see, I'm, I'm understanding myself as a recipient, but I, but I don't have to just be stuck there. I'm also seeing myself as a recipient, an agent of God's grace who can begin to, to understand these patterns in my life, but also engage life in a different direction. Maybe I grew up in the midst of anger, and, and, and what stuck with me through that experience were the negative messages. And perhaps in some ways, those negative messages have become a source of shame. I'm not worthy. I'll never measure up. And as I begin to understand that and kind of see, okay, this has been part of my past. I am, an, I am a, re, a recipient of that, but I'm also a recipient, an agent of God's grace. So I don't have to just say stuck. And how can I begin to embrace the ministry and work of Jesus as the one who bore my shame? who identified with me as the outcast, who was humiliated and crucified, but then raised in triumph. And now I belong to him. So shame does not have to be the end of the story. You see, I see myself as a recipient, but also an agent. I'm a recipient of my family, but I'm, not, but I'm also an agent. I'm now a re- recipient of God's grace, which empowers me to move in different directions. To kind of give you just an example of what this looks like, watch this. I'm Denise Gator, and um, we moved here a number of years ago. And uh, as we moved here, we also became empty nesters, which was totally different for us. I was used to a house full of high school kids. We did Young Life. Um, There were always people in the home, and here I am in a new place. The house is empty. Dave hits the ground running, you know, with an amazing job. And anyway, it was uh, quite a different stage for me. And so over those first few years, the first year was really rough, and um, just coming to Hershey Free was helpful to get involved in Women's Connect, and I've been involved in that group for ever since we moved here and um, just to get some connection in the community and have made some really good friends. And so 
As my husband and I were dealing with some, some issues that crept up um, that were, I think, just more evident because we were empty nesters. Um, and two of my friends here at Hershey Free mentioned, you might want to go talk to Jerry Evans. And we started to see him on a pretty regular basis a couple of years ago, and um, he really did help us in that area. And as we shared our stories with him of, you know, growing up and all, he wanted us to take this quiz that was online um, called How We Love Quiz. And anyone can do it. It's online. It just takes maybe 10, 15 minutes. And we did that. And it really revealed some interesting things about each of us where we had developed these impaired love styles, really stemming from, you know, our, abu our abuse growing up. Dave was terribly physically and emotionally abused as a kid growing up by his dad. And I had a background of sexual abuse as a kid. There's this whole book called How We Love. And we started working through this book with Jerry. And it truly changed my perspective on uh, why Dave had tendencies to be an avoider. Not only was his job very taxing and he'd come home, he was all, he had no more words left. He just wanted to chill in front of the TV and yet I took that very personally, like he's choosing that over me and I felt pretty invisible and I had much different needs at home not having connection. This changed perspective for me really softened my heart um, towards some of Dave's behavior and uh, it all, so I didn't take it as personally. The chapter on uh, being a vacillator, which is what my tendency is, I felt like I was reading about myself and um, and seeing that I was still dysfunctional and it really did break me for, I, I wept over that chapter because I had received so much healing, inner healing from my sexual abuse of the past and I felt like I was, and I, I felt like he had put the broken pieces back together. So to see that I still had some brokenness um, that stemmed from all of that wounding of my past and that it was still affecting my relationship with my husband. To have a counselor walk alongside you in that is very helpful. Uh, so I appreciate the opportunity to have done that. And we're still in process. You know, I think we all will be. If God showed us really how broken we are all at once, it would crush us. So I think he does it a little bit at a time and uh, helps refine us uh, to become more like Jesus. That's a great story. By the way, the, the book she mentioned is this one, How We Love. And as she mentioned, you can go online. There's actually an online quiz that can help you think through, okay, how do I, how do I relate to other people? And have I, have I developed certain negative patterns of relating in important relationships in my life? So here's what we need to understand as we think about our family of origin. Yes, I've been influenced, but I don't have to be imprisoned because I'm, I'm both a recipient and an agent of family. But now as a Christian, I'm also a recipient, an agent of God's grace. 
Perhaps you're here and, 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 and you would say, okay, I see, I see the reality of what you're talking about, but I'm not sure how to take next steps, so in, either in understanding my family or, or maybe I see some of the negative patterns that have, that have become a part of my life, but I don't know how to move in a positive direction. If that's where you're at throughout this series, there are different resources that we want to make available. You'll notice in uh, the uh, bulletin you receive this insert. This is going to be in, in the bulletin each week. And for us... Here at our church, we've asked Omar Zook on our staff to be a contact person. So if, if at this point you would say, I'm trying to figure out what a next step can, can be like in dealing with this, Omar is the person to contact. And he can begin helping you uh, source out what a next step might look like, who other people that might be resources for you could be. And, and we just want, we want to walk with you in that journey because we are in this together. A few moments ago, as we started talking about family, we looked at just briefly at the family of Abraham, and I just want to come back to that for a moment. Because as you get to the end of Abraham's family story in Genesis, we see Joseph, right? We see Joseph reunited with his brothers, and here's this family together, this family that had such a great history, but also a history of dysfunction. And as Joseph looks at his brothers, he makes these profound words audible to them. He says, you know, you meant this for evil, but God has used it for good. And we get to the book, in the book of Genesis, and we start to realize that as we've read about Abraham's family, ultimately the emphasis of these texts hasn't been on Abraham's family. The emphasis has been on God's faithfulness and God's ability to be at work, even in some surprising situations and circumstances. And as we close, I I just want to challenge you to be encouraged by that as well. Because when we look at Abraham's family, we just have to walk away with the wonder that God can be at work even in the broken places of our lives. God can be at work even in the broken place of family. And the truth is, even right now, the brokenness that is a part of your life, perhaps the brokenness that to some degree has been put there through family interaction, that brokenness can be a place for God's grace. With that in mind, let me lead us in prayer. Gracious God, as, as we talked about family, the, I think for many of us there is so much that we can celebrate, so much for which we need to be grateful. And yet as we slow down to look at our families, at times we also see the brokenness and the hurt, and even for those of us who are parents, we see our own failures and brokenness and the ways it's affect our, affected our kids. And yet I pray that we would be challenged as well particularly through Abraham's family, to see the wonder of your faithfulness. I pray that we could see that as we understand our family and seek to respond to your grace, that even the broken places can be places where you are at work. I pray that we would recognize that this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand up?